the world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The Internet's most listened to talk radio network, voiceamerica.com, with Joyce Bender and Disability Matters. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. I want to tell you I'm so excited because I received a call from one of the key executives in Voice America telling me that they could not believe the huge listening audience this show has. And I want to tell you, you know, I give the credit to all of you. I mean, I have had such faithful listeners from the beginning and so many people spreading the word to other people, and I want to thank some of those people, one being Andy Imperato, who is the CEO, as you all know, of the American Association of People with Disabilities, AAPD-DC. One of the greatest cross-disability organizations, and if you don't belong, you should. But I want to thank them for faithfully sticking with us, advertising the show, and also all the great PR that has been sent out from the Federal Department of Labor. Maggie and so many of the people, they're just tremendous. I appreciate it. And, of course, the Epilepsy Foundation of America, which I'm so proud to be the secretary of. But, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anyone sends out. It's the people listening. And and so many people are listening and so many people are emailing us and calling in. And what can I say? You're all tremendous. And we are very excited today because one group that I think if you are in the disability community and you haven't heard of the Job Accommodation Network, well, something's wrong because everyone should know about the Job Accommodation Network, otherwise known to many of my listeners as JAN, really a tremendous organization that I've worked with over the years from my company, Bender Consulting Services. And today we have with us Dr. Beth Loy, who is a human factors consultant with Jan and Linda Carter-Batiste, an attorney with the Disability Law Specialist for the Job Accommodation Network. Beth and Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. We're happy to be here today. And we are happy to have you. And in case you are one of those listeners that I talked about that haven't heard about Jan or the Job Accommodation Network, maybe you could begin by sharing with our listeners what Jan is. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, My name is Beth, and first I want to thank you, Joyce, for inviting Linda and me to participate in your radio show. We're always happy to work with such great supporters. And the Job Accommodation Network, JAM for short, is now in its 21st year. So anytime we can personally reach out to our consumers, we are absolutely thrilled. Linda and I have worked together for nearly 10 years now. Yes, we're still talking, even after all that time. And I feel like we, as well as the JAN organization, have made some accomplishments. Linda has been with JAN for nearly 13 years. So my goodness, Linda, we are definitely getting old. I am. (laughs) When you say that our jobs have become much more complex over the last few years? Definitely they have. 
During this time, we have talked with a lot of employers and individuals with disabilities about employment issues. That is our focus. Sam provides information on job accommodations and the Americans with Disabilities Act, called the ADA for short. Now, as you can imagine, there are a lot of issues that come up regarding the ADA and a lot of uncertainty about what the law requires. So Jan not only provides information, we also provide thousands of referrals to local, national, and regional agencies. And a lot of these agencies assist with transportation, funding, training, and other types of support. So Jan is a national service. Uh, we serve the entire United States by toll-free telephone lines. Jan is staffed by human factors consultants, all of whom have a master's degree or other advanced degree in specialty fields. Some of these specialty fields are things like rehabilitation counseling, special ed, engineering, ergonomics, business administration, and law and psychology. We work on teams, and we have very similar areas of expertise. Our teams include the motor team, the sensory team, the cognitive and psychiatric team, and a team that helps people with disabilities start small businesses. So I think that gives you a pretty good overview of our service, Joyce. Well, I know, you know, I know you do so much. Now, just so our listeners are clear on one thing, because I don't want to give anyone the wrong information, is Job Accommodation Network specifically for the employment, employer community? No, absolutely not. Uh, we provide information pretty much to anyone who wants it. Uh, we get a lot of people with disabilities. We get a lot of family members. Uh, we get lawyers seeking information, um, support services seeking additional information. So it could be anyone who wants to use Jan. Certainly we have a we focus on private employers, but we have a wide outreach. So in addition, an individual with a disability, let's just say they work at a company but they feel they're being discriminated against, and they wanted to find that information, they could also call you. Sure. Um, and we get a lot of calls from people with disabilities. And most of those people have either found us from a service organization, say the MS Society or Cancer Society, or you, men you mentioned Epilepsy Foundation. And those are just a few of a lot of great resources out there. Um, or they came across us on the Internet when they were doing research and looking for information on their rights in the workplace. Okay, and at the same time, you also, you were mentioning about this work you do, you also will go into companies, do you go into companies and do this training? This is Linda Joyce. Yes. Um, we rarely do that. As Beth mentioned, we do cover the whole United States, and there's about 13 of us doing the consulting work over the telephones here in West Virginia. So the only time we really go on site is when someone local will call us, and we do that mainly for our own experience just to see how the workplace is actually operating. So most of our work, 99% um, of it is done over the telephone. Okay, so then if they have a question about any human factors type issue, they would call you, set up a telephone conference, and that's how you would handle it. That's exactly right. A lot of people call us, and we try to talk to them right when they call. Um, some people want to get several people on the phone at once, and they may set up a conference call. But we, we have a live person answering the phone at all times, and if possible, if there's a consultant available, we'll talk with you right when you call us. Okay. All right. Now, with WVU, West Virginia University, 
How are you involved with them, and how did this partnership with Jan first start? Well, uh, Joyce, originally West Virginia University had something called a research and training center, and uh, this was started in 1967. It was before my time, as I like to joke. But uh, 21 years ago, the staff of the Research and Training Center sought a grant called the Job Accommodation Network, and they won. And Jan has been at WVU um, under, now it's under the International Center for Disability Information uh, ever since. So, of course, we've changed and developed over time. Uh, but Jan actually began before the ADA, and we have, since that time, been on the campus of WVU. So you're, you are u utilizing the space at West Virginia University? Well, it's basically like any other, well, now it's a contract. It used to be a grant. Mm -hmm. um, and you bid on those, whether you're a private agency or a public agency. You bid and you compete, and we do that every five years. And um, we've been lucky enough with the great staff that we have to get it back every five years. We do sit on the campus. Um, a lot of us have continued our education through the university, and many of us were born and raised in West Virginia. Well, we had uh, a Disability Mentoring Day meeting here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania this morning with many of the employers in the community. And when I was asking them what questions would you like to ask Job Accommodation Network if you were on the radio show with them, the question that kept coming up, was, you know, well, what advice do you have for companies when they hire people with disabilities, say, for example, they're in a wheelchair or blind or deaf, whatever it may be, and, and the person that's the champion of this, bringing the person on board, thinks, wow, this is great. They're going to bring this person on board. And then they start hearing things like, hey, what are we going to do with this person? You know, how are we going to handle this? You know, and of course, the champion business leader is always shocked because they're thinking, what do you mean, how are you going to handle it? You know, the way you'd handle it with any employee you'd bring aboard. But they then realize that many people that are familiar with hiring people with disabilities envision there's so much accommodation, there's so much, you know, training that's going to have to go forward. And they wonder, do you ever give companies information about that? We do get a lot of calls from people that are hiring a person with a disability for the first time, or at least it's the first time they know they're hiring someone with a disability. And oftentimes they'll call and say, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? We don't even know what this person needs, and we want to have all these accommodations in place, and we want to do it right. And what I usually suggest is that talk with the individual and see if any accommodations are even needed. Not everybody with a disability even needs an accommodation. You can't put a bunch of things in place and hope that they will work because each individual situation is different. So what we end up doing really is just talking with the employer about how accommodations really work and that it's the individual that usually requests the accommodation as needed. And then they can calm down a little bit and just wait and, and see what's needed and then put something in place that works for them as well as the employee. We do get a lot of that, especially with a first-time uh, hire for a person with a disability. And Joyce, just to follow up on that, one of the things that I talk about is, you know, it's good management. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are two words that I preach every day, um, whether you're managing people with disabilities or people without disabilities. It's just good management um, and open communication. 
That is so true. So here's the question. Why are only 35% of Americans with significant disabilities who want to work working? Well, I can give you my opinion on that. I, I, I don't have any hard and fast figures or statistics on it. Um, as I'm sure you're well aware, there's all kinds of studies on the employment of people with disabilities and why they're not working as, at a higher rate as everybody had hoped. Wait, wait, hold it, hold it. I want to make sure we talk about this since this is so near and dear to my heart. We'll be right back with two national experts in the area of job accommodations because they are with Jan, Linda Batiste and Beth Loy. This is Joyce Bender, the voice of voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Have you put down the morning paper in disgust because they weren't recording what you wanted to read? Have you wondered why there aren't more women's voices in the news? Well, so have I, and we're about to change that. This is former Minnesota State Senator Ember Ricegott Young. I hope you'll join me for a new radio show every Thursday all about women on the move. We'll look at what's missing in the news, the issues often ignored in mainstream media. Like, how does Social Security reform really affect women? Why is the Department of Labor proposing to stop collecting workforce data on women? What role will women play in Iraq's new government? We'll create that debate right here. The Ember Scott Young Show will have prominent women you know and inspiring women you don't know. We'll share stories of women's leadership, courage, and vision. We just need you to be part of the conversation. So join us for the Ember Scott Young Show every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time. It's all about you, women on the move, on voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, 
Here's Joyce Bender. And welcome back to the show. We're talking to Beth Loy and Linda Batiste from the Job Accommodation Network. And right before we went to break, we were starting to talk about a subject very near and dear to my heart, which is with all you know, with what what was talked about before, good management, which I agree with. Why the heck are only 35% of Americans with significant disabilities who want to work working? Go ahead. Well, as I was saying before, you know, we've all read all the different studies and, and seen all the different statistics, and they're all over the map as far as the actual um, employment of people with disabilities. But I always think about changing uh, social policy and, and the process that that goes through. And in our country, in the past, people with disabilities weren't expected to work and, and often didn't work, and we just had a really poor approach to the employment of people with disabilities. And I think a, a law like the Americans with Disabilities Act is it's not really the only thing that you do. It's not, it's not the answer, but it is one piece of, of the effort to change our social policy. And I think just, you know, speaking from my own experience here at JAN, I was here just before the ADA went into effect, and, and we had a few calls, and a lot of those were from federal employers. And after the ADA went into effect, our call volume um, skyrocketed, and it has stayed high ever since then. And it's, it's not that employers read the law and all of a sudden they're going to do the right thing and they're going to hire people and, and they're going to accommodate. It's, it's a process. And, and what we're seeing now is a lot of discussion, a lot of thinking about, um, well, maybe a person with a disability could work or this person's coming in the door, what should I do? So the way I see it, it's a starting point, and, and I think things have changed, at least based on our experience here at JAN. The phase that we're in now is that we're, we're trying to look at attitudes of employers, and the ADA has gotten employers talking about it and thinking about it, and even some of them actually making accommodations, whereas before they wouldn't even have considered even interviewing the person, let alone hiring them. So I, I think the ADA is making a change, at least in our experience here at JAN, and I just think it's going to take more time. Well, you know, <clears throat> I agree with you 100%. As many of our listeners know, uh, a real champion to me in this country and really a civil rights leader is Tony Coelho, who was the author of the Americans with Disabilities Act and has been on our show as a guest. And, and by the way, uh, congratulations for Tony because he will be brought in formally as the chairman of the board of the National Epilepsy Foundation this weekend, and we're just so excited about that. But, you know, when people say to me, well, the reason you have this high unemployment is because companies are afraid of the ADA. What I say to them is, well, I don't know why they are, because rarely do we win. <laughs> so if that is the reason you're afraid, you know, you don't be worried about it, because if you look at the statistics from the federal cases, you know, they haven't gone in our favor. But I, I look at the ADA the way you do. You know, I have epilepsy, and, and prior to the Americans with Disabilities Act, I would have had to fill out that application with what medication do you take. And I remember that application very well, even when I was, you know, in college. And, and back then I didn't know I had epilepsy, but I would have been writing down, of course, Dilantin. And, and all of a sudden, then, you know, people aren't getting hired. Plus, things we all enjoy, such as curb cuts, such as TTY or closed captioning, many of these things are, of course, a result of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Most importantly, of course, you know, being able to get into buildings and into a movie theater and all the barriers that have been changed. 
But we're past that. We're on to the attitudinal barrier now, you know, just as you mentioned. And that is the part that has to change. Where, Where they see hiring people with disabilities as an added value, not as, oh, no, we're going to have to hire a person with a disability. It's going to take too much time. You know what I mean? These are some of the things we have to get past. That's exactly right, and, and the same thing with accommodations, where they just see it the same as, you know, you buy keyboards for an employee, or you buy speech recognition software for an employee, or you buy a chair, or you buy an ergonomic chair. It, it, it needs to be seen as just part of doing business rather than something special that they're doing for certain employees. And I think when we get to that point, most accommodations are easy. They're just part of business, and I think if we get employers to look at it that way, it's just our, our jobs are going to be a lot easier. I know that. Well, I have uh, an email question sent to us from the uh, United States for you. I say that because many of our questions also come from Canada. But this question, neither one of you may answer it, is why is there such an issue when you are a person who is deaf with getting the accommodation of an interpreter at work? Why is that so difficult? Well, um Beth and I are both on the motor team here. We do have a sensory team, and I know our consultants who deal with accommodations for people who are deaf do hear a lot of issues about hiring an interpreter. And I think, I think, in, at least in, in our opinion, I think one of the big things is that when you've got a different way of doing something, um, and this is just a different way of communicating, but it's different, and employers aren't used to providing accommodations that are different from the way things are done. And I think they think that, hey, I'm going to have to hire this person to come in here, so I'm really hiring two people. They don't see it in the same manner that they would a keyboard or some other type of accommodation. They see it as a different way of communicating. And I think some employers are just real hesitant to do that. Um, We've had that same kind of issue come up with other types of accommodations that involve hiring a person to perform a service, um, like a job coach or um, a reader, we get that same thing. I don't know if it's because they're looking at it as a more expensive or a more a more difficult kind of accommodation because it involves another person. Um, but we, we do hear that. I'm not really sure what the answer is, but um, in our experience, it's just something they're just not used to doing. I think it's also because they look at it as, okay, I'm going to spend this, whatever it is, from, you know, from 60 to 120 or $200 an hour. I mean, all across the United States, it's different for the hourly rate, but I'm going to spend all this money, and that means I'll have to be spending this all day, you know, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. And see, that is another misperception, because people from the deaf community can use uh, two-way pagers, email, you know, many different forms of communication. Another reason why, if you ever feel like that, you should contact the Job Accommodation Network so you can get more real-life examples from them with their years of experience of different ways to communicate. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. If you have a large meeting or a review, I feel it's your responsibility to get the interpreter there or how will a person know what's going on. And we're, we're so big on this that even at our picnic, you know, we make sure we have several interpreters there. And this show that we're doing right now is being real-time captioning for people from the deaf community. Uh, but I agree with the uh, person who sent in the email that that is a problem. 
hopefully we'll be able to someday get over that problem. <laughs> hopefully. Well, listen, the ADA does ensure Americans with disabilities quality of life through accommodations. Could you provide for our listeners two examples of the word or phrase we have heard so often, reasonable accommodations for work? Well, um, Beth and I are both on the motor team, as I mentioned, um, but we do actually handle different types of motor impairments. I specialize in conditions that often affect the entire body, such as multiple sclerosis, spinal cord injuries, arthritis, obesity, things like that. One type of accommodation that comes up a lot in my calls that's considered a, a type of reasonable accommodation is flexible scheduling. And flexible scheduling can be useful for a lot of different reasons. Um, for example, providing more rest breaks for people with fatigue, allowing longer bathroom breaks for people with toileting issues, adjusting a schedule for people who rely on public transportation. Flexible scheduling can also mean changing the time of day that certain job tasks are performed. I tell my callers when they're faced with a, a flexible scheduling request that they may have to experiment a little to find out what schedule works best for their particular situation. But once they get it right, flexible scheduling can be very effective and can mean the difference between a non-productive and a productive employee. And I specialize in a lot of ergonomic-related impairments. And we get quite a few questions about job accommodations that focus particularly on assistive technologies. And most of the time, it's for office settings. So for example, someone with difficulty moving her hand, say from arthritis, may need to use the computer in a different way. Or someone with a progressive loss of vision may need some type of magnification. Someone with hearing loss may need amplification. And we also get numerous questions from, say, industrial settings, medical settings, and even service settings. And our number one call at JAN is related to back impairments and lifting restrictions. So in this type of situation, a reasonable accommodation could be a lifting device, even a cart, transfer aid, or some other piece of assistive technology. So there's certainly a wide variety of accommodations out there. And for the small business community, what does that phrase, reasonable accommodation, mean to them? Well, the... the the term reasonable accommodation is a term of art in, in the law, and it, it basically means that um, something that, that the person needs in order to do the job. And it's a, it's a wide range word. It can mean a lot of things. The, the key, though, is that employers don't have to provide any reasonable accommodation that's going to pose an undue hardship. So that, that's really the out that employers have, is that they don't have to do anything that's going to bust their budget or disrupt their workplace. Um, they, they have the right to look at that kind of thing. So reasonable can mean the same thing to a large employer as it does to a small employer, but it's that undue hardship um, defense that, that is the difference between what a large employer might have to do and a small employer. Now, there are some things that are considered unreasonable accommodations. Um, providing a personal attendant for someone for toileting is not considered reasonable, for example. All right, we'll talk about more about that in one moment. Um, as we are talking to two national leaders in accommodation, Dr. Beth Boy and Linda Carter-Batiste from JAN, the Job Accommodation Network, helping Americans with disabilities work. This is Joyce Bender, The Voice, thevoiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. 
VoiceAmerica.com. At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Thank you for calling voiceamerica.com. Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. If you have a question or comment for Joyce or her guest, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome back. And if you want to know about a job accommodation, this is the show you need to be listening to because we're talking to Beth Loy and Linda Carter-Batiste from the Job Accommodation Network. And right at the end there, before we went to break, we were talking about what is a reasonable accommodation. And you were talking about if you have a personal attendant. What is the situation there? Well, mentioning some things that um, are not considered reasonable accommodations under the ADA, um, just a few things. One of them is consider, uh, providing a personal attendant for toileting issues in the workplace. That's, at least right now, not something employers are, are required to do as a reasonable accommodation. Um, employers aren't required to lower productivity standards as an accommodation. They're not required to remove an essential part of somebody's job. And um, recently, because of a Supreme Court ruling, um, the ADA does not require employers to reassign um, in violation of a bona fide seniority system. Now, with that said, these are things that are not required. Um, but what we always tell employers, if they want to do these things, they're free to do more than is required under the ADA. And we have a lot of employers that have 
say, valuable long-term employees, and they call and they want to know, well, if we want to provide a personal attendant, can we do that? Certainly. The ADA doesn't prohibit employers from, from being good guys and doing more than is required. But if they want to go strictly with what they're required to do, these are not things that they have to do. They're not considered reasonable accommodations. I see. Okay. Well, what is your experience then? What do most employers worry about when they contact you in reference to job accommodations, and, and how do you work to educate them? Well, I can tell you, in my experience, employers often worry about accommodations that require them to change how they do things. And the biggest concern that they express to me is that if they try something different, they're going to be locked into it forever. And to alleviate their concerns, I tell them two things. Um, first, I tell them that they can try an accommodation. And if it doesn't work or it causes them an undue hardship, they can change it. Just because they try it, it doesn't mean they have to do it. Um, secondly, I tell employers that accommodations are made on a case-by-case -case basis. Each accommodation is based on the circumstances as they exist when that accommodation is requested, not on what was done last year or the year before or even the day before. A lot of times employers think if they do one thing for one person, then that's what they have to do forever, so they're afraid to try something new. Usually if the employer finds out that they have some flexibility in trying things out and not stuck with them if they don't work out, they're less concerned about trying different ways of doing things. And from my perspective, Joyce, I get a lot of employers who are concerned about money, mm -hmm. simply, yeah, simply concerned about cost. And, you know, I grew up on a farm in rural West Virginia, and if I know anything, you know, it's, you have to watch your budget, and employers are out there to make money. And if you have to buy a piece of machinery, say, to repair something on a farm or a piece of equipment, sometimes that's going to cost money. But in reality, accommodations are cheap. Uh, accommodations, over 70% of accommodations cost less than $500. And to me, um, and I think I can speak for most of the people in this field, this is a very inexpensive way to keep a productive and diverse and even happy workforce. I think that is so critically important what you just told our listeners. And especially if you are an employer listening to the show, I hope you heard this, that 70% of the time the cost is less than $500. Because I know when that was told on the front page of USA Today, people were absolutely shocked at how low the cost is frequently of an accommodation. Because sometimes when you talk to an employer, they envision they're going to be spending just thousands of dollars, you know, when they hire this person with a disability. And that really is, that is another, that's another perception that has to be changed. Because it's a myth. It's not true. You know, there are going to be times it is costly, but with, I think of all the people I've hired, that is rare. And, you know, we've hired over 200 people with significant disabilities. So, you know, my experience is that that is so way off when they think that, but I'm glad that, you know, we can make that clear to everyone. And I want to take a break for one minute. Could you tell us again the website for Jan? It is www.jan.wvu.edu. And for those of you who don't know, Beth is our webmaster. So yeah. if you like our website, it's thanks to Beth. She does a great job for us. Well, there you go, Beth. Another talent you have there. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay, but, you know, that's very important. One more time, repeat the website, Beth. 
www.jan.wvu.edu. Now, if someone has a question for Jan, is that how they get in touch with you? That's how they can get in touch with us, sure. Um, we have a contact page on there. You can log in. Uh, you can search on contact or go off of our home page and simply email us. All right. And what is the phone number if they want to call? Well, it's voice and TTY. It's 800-526-7234. One more time. 800-526-7234. And our hours are 8 to 8, Monday through Thursday, and 8 to 7 on Fridays, Eastern Time. All right. Now, I know that you are affiliated with the Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy. Are they your sponsor? They, we are a service. Yes, they are our sponsor. We are a free service uh, of the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy. And uh, basically, they allow us to be free. Um, and we are funded with your tax money, thanks to ODEP. And, and I'll tell you what, it's a very great program. So I would hope everyone would take advantage of that. Now, you know what, Lyndon Best? One of you were saying, or both of you, that you feel that with the ADA, you see things moving forward uh, in employment, or people noticing more, at least about employing people with disabilities. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what you think we could do to move that forward more, either of you? Well, I, I think that we need to find a way, and I don't really have all the answers here, but I think we need to find a way to make this whole thing about accommodating people with disabilities just a more natural part of the work environment. And I I just think it's going to take some time and, and education of employers. And, I, I mean, we're, we're certainly doing what we can, and, and you're doing what you can with your show. Um, but we need to, to reach more employers and, and figure out who's making the decisions. I think... One of the things we've recently tried to do is start looking at, in the work environment, who's advising employers. Sometimes employers have legal counsel. Sometimes they have um, risk managers. Um, sometimes they, they are just small employers and, and business owners that, that make their own decisions. But we need to decide who's, who's making the decisions. And I, I think employers need to, to start looking at this, as, as you mentioned earlier, as good business, as good management, and how to do that, I, and I think it's just going to be a matter of educating them that it's, it's just not a big deal. It's just part of, of the normal part of operating business. And just, just to follow up on that, Joyce, I mean, you know, my, my mom was diagnosed with cancer not so many years ago, and, and she doesn't look at herself as having a disability. And when I talk to her about working with people with disabilities, she doesn't even consider herself to be a person with a disability. So I think part of it is how society views the word disability. I mean, it is about abilities. It's about what she brings to the workplace and the workforce and the diversity and experience that she has. It's not about her having cancer. Yeah, and you know what? That is so true because this is a disability, and yet, uh, and she too is protected under the ADA, but many people, certain situations, they don't view it as a disability. And, and then you have those, as you said, that say, I don't want to say disability because that means there's something wrong with me. But, you know, again, I tell them, I have epilepsy. You know, it is a disability. So is my hearing loss. 
but that's just part of who I am. And, you know, I'm proud of who I am. So that's how we all have to feel. But as you said, we, we just need to keep educating. I really think that is the key. That's why it's so important what you're doing at the Job Accommodation Network. Now, Linda, I guess you would be the expert on this next question. I wanted to ask you if you could tell our listeners what type of legal support you offer to people with disabilities, and, and maybe you could give our listeners an example of that. Sure. Um, just right up front, we, we don't give legal advice at Jan. We're not a legal service. But I think we do provide a very important source of information about what the ADA requires. We get most of our information from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, which is the federal agency that enforces the ADA. And the EEOC has a lot of guidance available free of charge on its website. We posted all their guidances on our website, too. And we also talk frequently with the ADA Policy Division of the EEOC. So what we do, um, a lot of times, um, probably the biggest example of when an individual with a disability will call us is when they're preparing to ask for an accommodation. Sometimes they haven't even disclosed to the employer that they have a medical issue and they've never asked for an accommodation. So they're, they're kind of concerned about disclosing, um, we want to make sure they have the right to get an accommodation and we want to make sure they're covered by the ADA. Um, so they'll call us. And unfortunately, as, as you are probably well aware of, there are no definite answers under the ADA as far as who's going to be covered and, and whether a particular reasonable accommodation will pose an undue hardship under those circumstances. So what we do, first of all, is we try to educate the employee about the way the law works and that it's not set in stone. Um, before they go off and say, I am covered and I'm definitely entitled to this accommodation, we try to help them phrase it a little differently. And we try to help them um, decide how they want to disclose to the employer and how they want to word their accommodation request to try to help protect their rights um, as well as incorporate some flexibility in their accommodation request. We put together a lot of practical guidances, um, sample accommodation request forms people can use, real practical hands-on stuff to try to help them navigate through an accommodation request and just some practical ideas. So we'll give them the information on what the law says and what it doesn't say, but then we try to help them get over that part and get to the practical part. Well, best place you can call to get that advice with the Job Accommodation Network experts that we're speaking to. This is Joyce Bender, and you are listening to me on Disability Matters with Joyce Bender on the voice of voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to voiceamerica.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., 
and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. My name is Maxine Thompson, and I am America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. In today's world, it's hard to find the truth with anything. Is there such a thing as the truth? Where and how can I find it? Will someone just give it to me straight? Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific for Mario Verdad, an exciting new show that will give it to you straight every time and tackle the truth behind everything from political issues and crime to vocational and career counseling. So log on and tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome back, and you are listening to Dr. Beth Loy, and Linda Carter-Batiste from Job Accommodation Network. And we've been talking about, of course, accommodations for Americans with disabilities. <clears throat> such, such a great group to have with us as such a great service for people with disabilities. A question that I frequently ask is, what advice do you have for Americans with disabilities who want to work at a company and the building is not accessible and in some cases, an employer will say, well, this is an old building, so we aren't required to make it accessible. What is the correct response to that? Well, usually if it's the person with a disability who's calling us, um, they first want to know what the ADA requirements are, and then they usually want to know what suggestions um, we have about how they might approach that employer in a way that will help them get hired. So first, um, let me just talk about the ADA requirements for making buildings accessible. The ADA has different requirements under different sections. Private employers can have obligations under both Title I, which deals with employment, and Title III, which deals with the services that they might provide to the public. Since we're talking about a job applicant here, we're going to be talking about Title I. The employer's obligation under Title I is to provide access for an individual applicant to participate in the job application process and then for an individual employee with a disability to perform the essential functions of the job. That includes access to the building, to the work site, to equipment, and to all facilities that that employee is going to be using. It doesn't matter how old the building is. That employer must make the work site accessible unless it would pose an undue hardship. So we're back to that. Making a, a building accessible is a form of reasonable accommodation. The only defense the employer has for not doing it is that it would cause an undue hardship. Now, as I mentioned, most job applicants aren't going to want to call their employer back and just say what the law says because that may not get them the job. 
Um, what I suggest is that the job applicant think about what changes actually need to be made. Usually the entire building doesn't have to be altered. Um, and then offer information that, um, to the employer about what needs to be done and what tax incentives or other resources the employer might tap into. A lot of times employers think that if they hire someone, um, say, who uses a wheelchair, that they're going to have to completely remodel their entire facility. And that often isn't the case. And once they find out that they don't have to do quite that much necessarily, then um, sometimes they're willing to reconsider. There may be other options, too, for the employee. The employee may be able to work from home. There may be another site that's accessible the employee can work from. There may be different options if the employer just can't make the building accessible. Well, uh, one of the questions emailed to us that I wanted to ask you is, what is the accommodation provided for an employee with a psychiatric disability? in this case, bipolar? Well, I mean, my first question would be, what are the individual's limitations? I would need to know that, and I think Linda would agree with me before we could go forward. I mean, people with bipolar disorder can have limitations where they might need flexible scheduling, um, or they may not have any limitations at all, may not need any type of accommodations. Now, as far as typical accommodations, um, we have a website on our pub, on, we have a publication on our website specifically for accommodating people with bipolar disorder. Mm, and it gives you a rundown based on the person's limitations as to what accommodations are typically effective. And I say typically simply because it's a case-by-case -case situation. So that one's hard to answer unless you know what the person's limitations are and what the person's job functions are. Linda, did you want to add anything to that? I, I think that with psychiatric impairments, it's the same as any other type of accommodation. You've got to approach it on a case-by-case -case basis. But our, um, I know our psych team that, that does all the accommodations, often one of the things they do is spend a lot of time educating employers about um, that very issue because employers don't, if they can't see it, oftentimes they're afraid of it. We get that with a lot of different types of impairments that are classified as hidden impairments. Um, that, that's very true of people with psychiatric impairments. Um, a lot of it's just educating the employer to approach it like any other accommodation. And Linda, whenever you talk to employers, do you review with them what they can and cannot ask when they interview a person with a disability? Absolutely. And we, we get so many questions about um, what medical inquiries are allowed um, for applicants as well as employees. We do spend a lot of time discussing what, what is allowed and what's not allowed. In fact, we've put together two publications, one for um, medical question do's and don'ts for the interview process and then um, medical inquiries in response to an accommodation request. Both of those are on our website free of charge. Um, a lot of employers use those because they just are very confused about what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. All right, here's a question that's asked to me all the time. If we interview someone with a disability and they disclose they have a disability, can we then talk about it? You're not allowed to ask um, questions about a person's disability. If, if the person discloses that they have a disability and based on what they told you, there's a, an obvious problem with their performance of the job, you are allowed to ask some questions about, well, could you perform the job? How would you perform the job? What accommodations would you need? But if just the fact that someone discloses doesn't mean that you ignore all the rules about what you're allowed to ask. 
So you wouldn't probe further, um, except if it appears that it's going to interfere with job performance, you can ask questions about that. So in other words, if you would be interviewing someone, we'll use me and they have epilepsy. And it's, you know, the first interview. You're interviewing, we'll say, for a finance position. And the person says, oh, by the way, <clears throat> just so you know this, I do have a disability. I have epilepsy. Then wh what should the uh, interviewer say at that point? Well, the, it, at that point, the interviewer should not ask any follow-up questions because that doesn't appear to interfere with the job that, that the person's applying for. Now, if that person was applying for a job that required a CDL license, then that employer might say, well, do you qualify for a CDL license? Are you able to drive? That's the job you're applying for. Um, there may be relevant questions depending on the type of job. But for a finance position, it um, doesn't appear to be related to the type of work the person is going to be doing. So the employer probably should not ask any follow-up questions about that. Now, after the person is hired, I tell, if, you know, people always ask me, should I disclose? And I tell them that is their personal uh, decision because there are some people, for example, will use epilepsy and they do want to disclose after they are hired <clears throat> in case they have a tonic-clonic seizure at work so the person would know what to do. But I always tell them, that's their choice. Do you agree with that? I agree 100%. If, if the employer does not ask, um, post-offer, pre-employment employers are allowed to conduct medical exams and ask medical questions. Of course, if they ask during that time period, then you need to be honest. If they don't ask any post-offer, pre-employment questions or, or have you go for an exam, then you're free to, to choose to disclose or not. And as you just mentioned, a lot of people want to disclose because if they have a medical event at work, they want the employer to already be aware of it. Um, other people just want their employer to know because, like you said earlier, it's just part of who they are and they just want the employer to know. Um, but if, if they choose not to disclose and the, and the employer doesn't ask any questions, then it's, it's a personal choice. And when people ask me my opinion, so you know, and my listeners know this, if you ask, should I disclose on an initial interview? My answer is no, because first of all, that's what the ADA is all about. You know, they should be interviewing you not about do you have cerebral palsy or do you have multiple sclerosis or do you are you bipolar. They they should be interviewing you. Do you have these financial skills for the job or whatever the position is? The disability should not be part of that discussion. But and why I'm even bringing this up is Linda and. Beth, it is absolutely amazing to me how many, I mean, because I work, remember, across the United States and in Canada, I would say at least 65% of the time with new employers, when I send them a candidate, they'll call me and say, what is the person's disability if it is not, you know, a visible disability? And I'm always astonished, that, you know, that they don't know with the ADA that that's not appropriate. It is amazing after this amount of time that employers still don't know what the law requires or what's permitted, but we, we get calls like that all the time, and I, I don't know what it's going to take to get that information across, but um, unfortunately we're still getting that too. Yes, I know. And what I, you know, and then I very nicely will say, well, as you know, you know, due to the Americans with Disabilities Act, I really cannot disclose that. And I think it's because of just, Fear, I guess, you know, lack of understanding, envisioning in their mind what, you know, what this person's disability could be. Uh, I am, of course, fall into that category since I do not have a visible disability. 
you know, whereas if you send someone who is in a wheelchair or blind or deaf or, you know, an amputee that has an obvious disability, then they know. Although there are some employers that ask prior to the person coming, could you tell me what this disability is? Yeah. And then if they can't tell what the disability is, they'll say, I can't even tell they have a disability. But for all employers' knowledge, remember, when companies say to me, hey, Joyce, we've just never hired people with disabilities before, I say, oh, yes, you have. They're working for you right now. They just haven't told you so. And with that, we're coming to the end of the show, but I wanted to ask you, Beth and or Linda, do you have any message for our listeners today you want to leave with our listeners? I guess, Joyce, the main message that Linda and I would like to convey is that people are not alone. Whether it's a person with a disability or an employer, Job Accommodation Network is here. And we're free. And the Job Accommodation Network, a great service everyone should be using. I always end with a quote, and today the quote is from Helen Keller, who said, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. I will not refuse to do something I can do. And that's what it's all about with accommodations. Thank you very much, Beth and Linda, for joining us today. Thanks, Joyce. Thank you, Joyce. This is Joyce Bender, the voice of VoiceAmerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.